Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter of James, Wisdom for Wholeness. Here, James uses Old Testament wisdom literature, as well as teaching from his own half-brother Jesus, to call the church throughout the age to a life wholly devoted to God. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life, so as to make people complete in him. Even as we worship through now this time, it's not now we get the teaching time and then we can respond afterwards and worship by singing. This now, as we come to this time, is worship. As we take this, we approach the text together to prepare our own hearts to hear, to think about it, to pray about it, to believe it. These are acts of worship, to confess and to realize where we have come short of the glory of God. And as we want to do what James has talked about, that we would take our own boasting and throw it aside and rather boast in Jesus Christ and Him alone. So we come to not do something different and then we'll go back to worshiping at the end and we'll sing another song. This is perhaps the most glorious of our worship together as we proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified through the Word. So, let us worship our God together through the preaching of the Word. We're going to be in 11 and 12 today, but I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us some context, and we'll read through verse 12. We'll pray, and we'll get going. Verse 1, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scriptures say he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made dwell in us? but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. God, we simply join together asking that you would be in our presence bringing unity and peace. We praise your holy name and ask that you would work repentance and faith. God, you are the God of endurance and encouragement and we ask that you would grant us to live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. Together, we may with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on the text today the application of your word, so that we might see you in all your glory and that we might respond in faith. I pray this would be the, to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week we spent some time reveling in the grace of God. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, and you want to ask the question, 
do you know how gracious and good this God is? We, we took a look at it last week. I know each of us comes in here with a different story. I know we have different things that we've gone through, different burdens that we've carried throughout this week. Some of you have been hurt by someone even close to you, whether it's verbally or even possibly physically or emotionally or spiritually. Some of you have secret sin that's hidden back in your closet and you do not want it to be shown and you hate it. You don't want this to be true of you. Some of you believe that God is immensely powerful, that he is in fact the creator and the, and the author of salvation, and yet you carry this doubt and fear that he is actually good. We understand then how could this God, how could he be so good if he allows these terrible things to happen? In fact, that he ordains them. How is that possible? How could this God be good? Some of you live in a constant world of unhealthy tension in your relationships, your marriages, the, the relationship you have with your own kids, your work relationships, your neighbors, etc. I know that we don't live in a fairy tale land. I get that, because I don't. Real life is difficult, tiring. Oftentimes, it's just disappointing to see our sin play itself out. However, despite our rebellion, despite our anger and doubt, there is good news. God gives more grace. This is good news, brothers and sisters. This is what we looked at last week. He's not okay with us acting the way that we are. It's, it's, it's not just to, just to clear the air for a minute. He doesn't look at us at our current state and bless our sin. That's not what he is doing. He's not okay with us doing that. Instead, he offers grace to those who are humble. After the harsh and cutting words that he spoke to us about spiritual adultery and then understanding the position that puts us in as an enemy of God, we hear the glorious message of his grace to us. We've been shown the truth about ourselves, and now we have the legitimate invitation to respond in humility and gratitude, to live lives that can receive grace as humble people. Last week we experienced then this serious call to humble repentance. Remember that? Be wretched and mourn and weep. Turn your joy or silliness into mourning. This idea of taking the gravity of sin into consideration that it's serious against a holy and righteous and just God. By God's grace, we can then repent and we can humble ourselves and He will continue to pour out His grace. James made it very clear that wisdom from above shows itself by living in humility or meekness. We talked about that. So much so that he will resist or he will oppose those who are proud. Jealousy, selfish ambition, and even if we go back to chapter 2, partiality, all these things have their core or their beginnings or their root in the sin of pride. In the sin of pride. James has built quite a case against pride in a believer's life. And today, he will further his application against pride. Our context leads us to this passage, and it helps us understand the solid foundation that we have that says that pride is wrong. Like it's, it's very clear. In fact, it leads us to show that being one that is proud is being an enemy of God. Today, we'll hear James continue to exhort us, and he will show us then that our works of meekness and wisdom then will result in that which is not proud at all. He is going to bring us to a place where he has two topics kind of come together, and We'll see as we go on, there's more than just that. But for now, let me just talk about these two. 
He's shown us the danger of a fiery, unbridled tongue. We're going to see that, but then we're going to see it joined with this heinous, slandering, proud heart. And as they come together, they speak evil against a brother. Look at verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. The, the, like the outline is really simple here. There's one major command. It's, it's really simple. It doesn't take a lot of work to get there. Don't speak evil against each other, Christians. Don't speak against each other. Don't slander. Don't speak against each other. We're talking about slander, or more literally, his actual words just say this. Don't speak against someone. Don't speak against that person. James has already showed us a little bit of the, the depth of the tongue. In 2.3, we heard him say of the person that talked about partiality and held partiality. This person said, oh, you go stand over there or you sit at my feet. In 3.6, we learn that the tongue is a fire. It's destroying everyone in its path. In 3.8, we learn that the tongue is full of deadly poison, like that asp with all the venom right, ready to come out at any time. It's unpredictable. In 3.9, the tongue was misused to call curses on those that were made in the likeness of God. In 4.1, James shows these congregations are plagued by verbal wars and battles, this quarreling and arguing and fighting. And now, James says, don't speak evil against one another. It's a catch-all to show that all of it's bad. If you didn't get it before, now you got it. Don't speak evil against each other at all. It's all bad. It all tears down. And whether you attack another brother to their face or behind their back, it's wrong. This can be as blatant as a harsh remark, you know, outright and saying it, and everyone understands how bitter and cutting that remark was about someone's actions or character. Or some of us are better at this. We can be sneaky and uh, like a backhanded compliment, all as passive, aggressive uh, way as possible doing that and cutting them down. And I know that some of us are very good at that. And we use that to get a good laugh, but also then to hurt others as well. You can talk down to someone simply by your tone. You know that. You can talk down to someone very easily by properly timing a sigh or an eye roll or a grunt. All these things are speaking against someone else. It can be a lie, an outright lie of slander against someone, or perhaps a shade of exaggeration about someone. Or, get this, it could actually just be the truth about someone. It's not about that, whether it's true or false. What's at stake here is the direction. It is against a brother. The purpose is not for building up. The purpose is not to show love. The purpose, rather, is to be on top of and show some sort of superiority, some sort of judgment towards another person. I know that some of you and I, we, we think about this together, and we think, how do we show slander how does this happen in our family so easily? Well, we know that's coming out of a wicked heart. <laughs> that's pretty easy to see. James is telling us not to speak against any Christians in any way. But the question comes to us, why? I mean, we just understand the, on the, on the rules, but are these rules just James's rules and, and therefore God's rules, and so they're just, they're just there? We just are supposed to obey them. Uh, you know, are they, are they just arbitrary? Are these the rules that people have through the ages come up with and we know that if you speak slander against someone, it starts to degrade and erode the, the, the whole society and it's bad, so we shouldn't do that? Or is there possibly something more here? 
Do we think that these commands are simply agreed-upon rules for a healthy society? Remember, all of God's laws are based in reality. I'll go one step further because an unbeliever could say, yeah, reality, we get that, but there's not the reality that I see. All God's rules are based, or His laws are based in true reality. In other words, His reality, which is the one who created the world, which is real reality. That's the one we should actually care about. The wisest thing that you and I could do would be to listen to that one. Those laws are far more important than what we experience or we think is important. Well, I could get ahead if I do this thing. Well, God's law says does this. Well, I don't see how that's going to get me ahead at all or how it's going to help me. Remember whose world it is. It's not yours. So this law is not arbitrary. It's not just don't speak against each other because it's a good idea. These commands are true because they come forth from a true God. These commands show us what he is like, and they explain to us how this world really actually works, even though we may not be able to see it immediately for ourselves. So when he says, do not speak evil against each other, there is good reason for us to obey. Here, we don't have to figure out by looking at the context or somewhere else why we should do this. James just comes out and tells us. It's very helpful. The rest of this whole passage is all about why. He says this, The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Why should we not speak against each other? Number one problem here, when you've spoken evil against and judged the law, that's what's happening. When you've spoken evil or judged someone, you've done that to the law. That's what he's going to start us off with. Anyone notice what he just added in there also? We talk about slander or speaking against one another. James just added a new phrase to help us understand what it means to speak against another person. He's saying that this slander amounts to judging a brother. This is important for us. What do we mean by judging a brother? I mean like placing yourself above someone so that you might be able to pass judgment on their situation or maybe their actions. I mean that you put yourself in a position of authority so that you can speak down to someone. That's what this is about. James is talking about the exact same attitude that was behind partiality. That's what we're talking about. When you've spoken against a brother, you have decided to judge them. Now, whether it's slander against someone's character or making them look bad about something that's actually true, either way, we talked about this. It doesn't matter if it's a lie or if it's the truth. If it's against your brother, that's the problem. You are judging them. Not only have you said something nasty, you've become the judge. That sounds pretty bad, but I mean, what does it mean? <laughs> like, I spent a good, deal of, good bit of time this week thinking through the logical flow of that argument. If you have, in sense, spoken against someone and judged your brother, you've judged the law. How does that connect? Like, like that, I had to stop and make sure I really thought this through. How, if you judge someone else, are you judging the law? Let's think about it for a minute. James has already shown us that partiality, or judging others, is a big problem for our church. In fact, he told us in chapter 2, verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So, we start with partiality, or judging others, is sin. We all understand that, to the point that we say we call us transgressors. Therefore, if you have decided to judge others, 
that means like pick and choose, who you will accept and who, who you will slander, then you have decided to judge the law as well. You've chosen which commands to pick and choose and which ones you will use and which ones you'll disregard. You've judged the law. But James doesn't stop here. He says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. The second problem is that you've disobeyed the command to be a doer of the law. In chapter 1, as we started this whole book out, in verse 25, this became very clear. James called the people out to look at the law, that perfect law, the law of liberty, and to persevere. And if they did that, what was to happen? This would mean that they were not hearers who forget, but they would be doers who acted. Doers of the law. So when you judge others, you are not being doers of the law. You've disobeyed that command. This brings another issue, though, for us. Which law are we talking about here? We're talking about the law that James has been talking about throughout this time. We're talking about the law of liberty or the law of Christ or, we see here, the royal law. And let me explain what I mean by that. When he says this, he is talking about the Mosaic law understood and properly interpreted by Jesus. All that we understand from Matthew 5 is he's told us the real heart issues. That law and how he sees that, and he hangs all of that on the command to love, your, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's the law that we're talking about, that understands all those things correctly. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. The one who speaks against his brother has broken this command. Say it again. The one who's spoken against his brother or judged his brother has broken this command. He has not shown him love. He has broken the second greatest commandment. And I think it's helpful for us to look back then and see, Chris, are you stretching this a little bit? Leviticus 19 actually clarifies all this for us. Maybe you don't know what Leviticus 19 Leviticus 19.18, is not like I know Leviticus super well, but Leviticus 19.18 is the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That context is very helpful for us. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16. In other words, the, the words, the, the verses that are leading up to this idea that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen as I say this here. Verse 15, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Do you see what he's doing there? James isn't preaching something new. He's preaching the exact same thing that's coming out of this law. He's helping them understand that this is all connected. What he's doing is making sure we understand that slander or speaking against a brother is breaking the law. It's not a small thing. That's not all. Verse 12, we ended with this idea that says you're not a doer of the law, you're a judge. Verse 12 says this, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Third problem then, not a doer, you're a judge. You have usurped the power and position of God. I mean, not only have you judged the law, that's bad, not only have you disobeyed the royal law, not loving your neighbor, that's also bad, but by making yourself a judge over the law, you have effectively placed yourself in the role of God, the lawgiver and judge. This, if you didn't know, is a problem. 
the logical conclusion to these series points us back to the problem that keeps coming up at the center of this anti-wisdom. What is it? Pride. Think about usurping the role of the Most High. Think about how much pride that is showing. (laughs) We talked before about the one, the angelic creature who took over that place. It is not a small thing. When you speak against another person, you put yourself in God's place. James makes a very simple yet profound statement, and no Christian would disagree with this. There is only one judge, God. We have no problem with that. We agree with that statement. But now the logical questions that he's kind of followed up with kind of make us squirm. Let me ask him, are you a lawgiver? Are you the lawgiver? Did you issue commands based on your holy character? You really think you're the lawgiver? Or how about a judge? Uh, You know, can you righteously judge another person according to your own perfect character and the law that you have made? Okay, let's go one step further. If, If you think that you can do those things, how about the consequences of those things? Can you save a soul from being destroyed? Probably the opposite side, if you've made a judgment and you say, can you destroy a soul? Do you have the ability to do that? We're starting to get it, right? The answer to all these things is no. We readily admit that we are not God. We are not the lawgiver. We are not the judge. And yet James tells us that if we judge the law, this isn't just a meaningless action or a small sin. We have assumed a new identity, not a doer of the law, but we've taken on the identity of the judge of the law. And that, that is no place for us to be. That's serious. That's God's place and God's alone. Little did you know it, but when you spoke against your brother or your sister, possibly your spouse or your sister or your child or your coworker, you spoke against and elevated yourself in pride and assumed the place of God over the righteous law. That's what we're talking about. That's how serious James is about speaking against each other. It's ludicrous. Let me do something here. I think it'll be helpful for us. It'll it'll kind of sum this up. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the steps we took to get here. So if you're speaking against each other, all right, this idea of slander, if you're speaking against each other, then you are judging someone. If you're judging another, you now are judging the law. James proved that to us. We understand that now. If you're judging the law, you aren't being a doer of the law. Now you've identified yourself as a judge of the law. If you're a so-called judge in your foolish pride, you have raised yourself to the position of the place of God and you've usurped his authority. And now we go to the the normal progression here. What in the world are we going to do with this? If you have usurped the place of God in your own foolish pride and you understand the chain of this reasoning, all right, none of these links break apart. We get all this and you're right, you're right, you're right, James. The obvious question is, who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? Right back to the beginning. Why would you do it in the first place if you now understand that it is usurping the role of God? In other words, what are you thinking? You think you're God? You think you're a lawgiver or the judge? Do you get it now, guys? He says that to us, and we go, yeah, I can see it now. I'm, I'm not the lawgiver. I'm not the judge. By speaking against a brother, we have usurped the authority of God, a place that none of us should ever be. I want to draw your attention to a minor but purposeful change here at the end. 
Notice in verse 11, he refers to brothers twice. Do you see that? Now look at the end of verse 12, what he calls them. Verse 12, he calls them neighbors. He's still talking about the same people. Why not use brothers again, though? Why would you switch to this? Why would you call them neighbors? Let me just cut to the chase. James is helping and solidifying his whole argument by referring actually back to Leviticus 19. His audience knows exactly what he's talking about. They're going back then to that command. He has purposefully, where we expect to see brothers, he's placed neighbor, and it clearly points us back to the command to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you've judged someone or spoken against them, you haven't done that. You've broken the law of love for your neighbor. He's showing that the New Testament church is called to the same actions that are assigned to Israel. He is not giving us a new teaching, but proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that speaking against a brother is law-breaking. Specifically, it's broken the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. What James has done here in these two verses, he has cleverly brought together chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and he's given us it all in one seed form. Think about it for a minute. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. James says don't speak against each other. Chapter 3, what did we just learn? The destructive and extensive power of the tongue, speaking. James referenced, referenced the way that we were speaking against a brother or judging a brother. Chapter 2, the whole first half was all about partiality and judging a brother. James teaches about this. If you do these things, then you are not a doer of the law. I already referenced 125. If you remember that, what, what James was telling us to do was to persevere in the law of liberty and be a doer of this word. And lastly, this idea that James tells us that in great pride we have usurped the role of God as judge. Chapter 4, we just started into already, we understand James is showing us the foolishness of pride. In fact, if you take on pride as an okay thing for you to do, you are now an enemy of God. You are resisted or opposed by the hand of God. He only gives grace to the humble. In this little command to stop speaking against a brother, he reviews and highlights from the first few chapters and brings a bunch of significance to this command. This is not a small thing for us. And it may seem like, you know, it's just something that I would tell my kids, like, hey, be kind to each other. Stop speaking that way to each other. Stop yelling at each other or saying these nasty things at each other. But this is not just for kids. This is very much for us. Perhaps you speak against your neighbors and brothers behind their backs by way of gossip. Stop that and repent. Perhaps you desire position and you, and you really want to make yourself look good so you shed light on the deficiencies of others around you just by backhanded, snarky comments here and there. Stop that and repent. That's speaking as a brother and you put yourself in the place of God. Perhaps you never say any of these words to other people that you really want to. You're quiet and you're controlled and you really only speak to those who you trust behind closed doors, maybe your spouse or a friend. Do you somehow think that's better? You judge someone behind closed doors? Really? Stop that and repent. Perhaps you don't ever talk about it with anyone, not even your spouse. But for a long time, you've been noticing all the problems that the people around you have. And you never talk to them about it. How selfish and judgmental of you and me. That we wouldn't come to someone else and say, I love you, brother. I see this in your life. This is a problem. 
Instead, we would just hold it in and think that about somebody else. Is that not holding it against a brother as well? You choose to sit and feel better about yourself instead of going in love and loving your neighbor and telling him the truth in love? Do you think it's more holy to have judgmental thoughts inside of your head that they don't get spoken so it's better? Who sees inside of us? What does Jesus talk about? Like, he took all of the Old Testament to help us understand the real problem was the heart. He sees all of that, guys. It's the same judgmental spirit of partiality that's inside of us. It's full of pride. You've still passed judgment on your brother in your own heart. God knows this, and he puts you in the same category as the proud usurper. You've taken the role of God away from him and judged another in your heart. Same words. You should stop that and repent. Perhaps this isn't really a problem for you yet. The whole sermon today, you're like, oh, this is good. Yeah, I don't really struggle with this, but it's good. I, I know that's good. I'm, I'm glad that he's going verse by verse here. That's good. And, and, I, and I believe you. I believe that some of you don't struggle with this in some way or another. Or maybe you've gotten a little bit better at it. That, that's great. But I want to speak to you for a minute. Here's a good lesson for those that think they're above this in some way. You're a fool. And I don't mean that in, in anything but a godly way. This is a message for the church. This is for us. Remember, this passage is instruction for us. This is profitable for us. You may not think it applies to you right now. You don't need to internalize it, and you're doing pretty good at that. I promise you that this will come up again. And perhaps in your own pride of thinking you're okay right now, that might be the ticket to start. I believe you when you say that, but again, all of God's Word is instructive. All of it's pointing us back so that we would both understand who we are and we'd understand who God is. We'd understand what the Bible and how it works together. You can't toss this part out because you think you're all right with it. This is a very important piece for us to understand all of the whole. Don't cut anything out. That's a good piece of biblical advice in general. And this is very helpful for us because perhaps right now we're not struggling with it. Listen and receive the word from James, brothers and sisters. You and I will desperately need it. Perhaps in the months or years to come, we will need to hear this again. And I would pray that as elders that we would be ready to call each other back to this. If we would ever have some sort of dissension or problems of backbiting or gossip, that we would continually go back and say, hey, we know what James says. This is a root of pride coming out. We've got to squash this now. And so I say to us that think we're Maybe kind of, we're okay at this. We're not speaking against each other. You need to internalize this just as much. This is just as important for us to understand the, God, the heart of God and our own wicked hearts. Lastly, I just want to encourage you to remember the grace that God has given to the humble. He has given us himself in Jesus Christ and has given grace to the humble. And he's given us enough grace to even repent. And he calls us to that. I'll say this also, look at Jesus. If anyone could have judged and railed against anyone properly, it was him. Not only could he see every part of our wicked heart, he was actually better than everybody. He could do it. He had every right to do so. And yet he spoke the truth in love, never simply to promote himself, always promoting the Father, always promoting the Spirit, always coming and showing himself to be a servant. And if you remember John 3, 17, we know this. He didn't come to judge or condemn. He came to save. May we then be willing to follow our Lord and Savior and give words of life 
Not words of anger or judgment or some sort of againstness to others, but rather be like Jesus and speak these words of love to one another. So, let us heed the words of James. Let us follow our example and our empowerer, Jesus Christ. Let us keep ourselves from speaking against each other. Let's pray. God, your word is true. So, we love you and ask that you would take it and plant it deep in us, and then we'd obey. We ask for humble, repentant hearts that love you and want to believe the truth. God, it will take a supernatural work for us to let go of our pride and actually be humble. So we call on you to do that work of humility in us. I pray that we would not speak against one another, whether it's behind closed doors, whether it's outright to someone's face, whether it's just in our own hearts. But would you conquer our hearts for the sake of your glory, that you would have your way here on earth to bring many to yourself. We love you. We praise things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For other sermons on the book of James and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.